how sad is that? But today we're in uh, the series Discovering Joy. It's our third part. We're going through the book of Philippians verse by verse. And today we're going to look at the humble path to happiness. If you were to ask most people, what is the path to happiness? Most people would say, get an education, get a job, get married, have a family, uh, make a lot of money and retire. That's the path to happiness. But here's the problem. An awful lot of people do that, and they're still not happy. The Bible says the path to happiness is something you may have never imagined, something you never thought of. The path to happiness is through humility. Now, how in the world can humility make you happy? Because one of the number one killjoys in life is conflict. I mean, you could have a lot of money. You could be successful. You could be famous. And if you've got conflict in your relationships, you're still not going to be happy. If you're going to be happy over the long haul, you have to reduce conflict in your life. And that's where humility comes in. Proverbs 13.10 tells us pride always leads to arguments. And in Philippians 2, Paul explains the connection. The connection between humility, harmony, and happiness. And this is how it works. Happiness comes from harmony. Harmony comes from humility. And Jesus Christ modeled them all. Philippians 2 tells us that God's model for relationships, for friendships, for marriage, for work relationships, for any relationship. But look at verse 2 here. Paul says, You will make my joy complete by having the same mind, sharing the same love, being united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Four kinds of harmony that God wants in every relationship. First, he wants you to have the same mind. You are united in thinking. He wants you to share the same love. That's emotional harmony. He wants you to be united in spirit. That's spiritual harmony. And he wants you to be, to be intent on one purpose. That's directional harmony. I mean, can you imagine having a marriage, a family, a workplace with that kind of harmony? I and mean, wouldn't that be great? This passage will tell you how to get there. In fact, I will guarantee you that if you, if you want to reduce the conflict, if you want to increase the happiness in your life, this passage will help you if you will do what it says. That's the catch. Now, I'm going to give you three warnings as we jump into this. First, I want to warn you that what I'm going to teach you today is the exact opposite of everything that you've been taught by our culture. Our culture teaches the exact opposite of what God says about relationships. Uh, The second warning is that what I'm going to teach you to do isn't natural. It doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Even though it's the right thing to do, it doesn't feel right. But doing what we naturally want to do is what creates the conflict. Our goal is not to live naturally doing what we want to do. Our goal is to live supernaturally doing what God wants us to do. And that's why it doesn't feel natural, because it's not. It's a supernatural way of living. And the third warning is, is that if you start to apply it, you're going to be tested on it. If you, if you try and apply this, you're going to have conflict come into your life this week because God's going to give you an opportunity to see, are you, are you really going to do what you've learned? You'll be tested on it. So what are the habits of humility? Number one, never let pride be my guide. No matter what the relationship is, I never let pride be my guide. 
Because pride is the root of every other sin. Pride is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride is at the root of Adam and Eve's original sin. It's what I'm got kicked out of the garden. Every conflict you go through has an element of pride in it. So I never let pride be my guide. And again, that's countercultural because today in our society, we reward narcissism. The most arrogant athletes, the most arrogant celebrities, they're the ones who get all the money and get all the attention. Because in our society, we reward pride. But Philippians 2.3 says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul identifies two conflict-creating kinds of pride here. The first one is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition says, it's all about me. My needs, my wants, my fears, my success, my career. Selfish ambition is not caring about the relationship as much as I care about myself. See that anywhere today? James 3.16 says, whenever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, you'll find confusion and every other kind of evil. When there's confusion in the workplace, when there's confusion in the home, if you get down to the root, there's going to be jealousy and selfish ambition. Because that's what happens when it's all about me. Second type is vain conceit. That's the attitude that I'm always right. I'm always right, you're always wrong. Vain conceit. In Galatians, another book Paul wrote, he lists 17 effects of living with pride. And he calls it the works of the flesh. He says when we live self-centered, self-concerned, self-indulgent lives, it shows up in different ways in our lives. Look at these in Galatians 5. Our self-indulgent nature shows itself in conflict, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. It shows up in causing divisions among people and the feeling that everyone else is wrong except those in your own little group. Now I want you to notice those are all relational issues. Those are all relational sins. They're not something that's done in the privacy of your, you know, your own who personhood. They're relational. And why do those issues come up? Because we've let pride be our guide. Second habit, flip side of this, I must be humble or I'll stumble. Uh, notice I'm kind of a poet today. Okay? You could wrap this sermon on the, on the way home. Yeah, wait till you're on the way home. Uh, humility is uh, the foundation of every great marriage and every great friendship. Because in humility, you don't act like you know it all. It, with humility, you treat the other person, person with respect. You give the other person more honor. You, you don't go 50-50. Marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. In marriage, you each give the other 100% of yourself. In fact, you try to outdo each other in respect and honor, not just keep it even. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourself. Again, it's the exact opposite of what the culture teaches. Our culture teaches, I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to do what's If I don't look out for me, who's going to look out for me? I, I've, I've got to take care of me. I've got to do what makes me happy. And the world lays out all these selfish, self-centered, narcissistic rules for relationships. Paul says the exact opposite. He says, be humble and give more honor to others than yourself. Now, a lot of people think that humility is saying, I'm no good, I'm nothing, I'm a zero, I don't measure up, I can't do anything right. That is not humility. That's not humility, that's just degrading yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself 
less. Humility is not devaluing you. Humility is adding value to other people. Now, why should I do that? Why should I be humble? Because God makes more promises in the Bible in regards to humility than anything else except generous giving. Most of the promises in the Bible are about giving generously, how God promises to reward us for that. The second on the list is being humble. Listen to this. God says if you're humble, he will give you his presence, he will give you his power, he will give you his peace, he will make you prosperous, he will make you successful, he will give you great honor. The very things that people are looking for, God says, I will give those to you if you will humble yourself. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes, God stands against the proud. Because God hates ego, arrogance, conceit, self-centeredness, self-promotion, selfish ambition. God opposes those because he knows how destructive they are. He knows they're destructive. And anytime I'm acting or speaking or thinking in a prideful way, it uh, doesn't matter. I may have the right cause, the right idea, the right words, but if I do it with pride, God says you're on the wrong side. That's the negative aspect. God opposes the proud. Positive aspect is he gives grace to the humble. Now, what is grace? Grace is the power to have healthy relationships. Grace is the ability to live in harmony with other people. It's the ability to resolve the conflict when it comes up. It's the ability to, to, to do what's right even when I don't feel like it. That's what grace is. The only way your relationships will last is with God's grace. Third habit. I must learn the lost art of paying attention. And this one is a struggle for all of us. It just is. It, today, our technology and our tools have trained us to no longer pay attention to the people around us. We pay attention to screens more than we pay attention to people. You know, what's the focal point in most living rooms? What's the focal point in most family rooms? What's the focal point in most offices? Screens. Screens. We pay more attention to screens than we do to the people around us. I mean, you walk into a restaurant, how many people are sitting there looking at their phones? They're not paying attention to the people they're with. They're texting somebody, hey, I just ordered the big salad. <laughs> if you're going to be humble, you've got to learn the lost art of paying attention. Don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in what others care about too. Don't just be interested in your own agenda, your own career, your own hobbies. Be interested in what other people are interested in. Be interested in their needs. Be interested in what's happening in their lives. Now let me just illustrate for you what we're up against, okay? If I were to take a picture of this congregation, take a picture of this group, and then give each one of you a copy of that picture... What is the first thing you would look for in that picture? Yourself. Yourself. And if your hair looks good, and if your mouth's not agape, and if you don't have one eye closed, hey, this is a good picture. Okay? But if you look bad, it's a bad picture. Okay? Now, human nature is to think about you more than anything else. But God says if you want to really be happy, you've got to change your frame of reference. Because harmony doesn't come from thinking about you. Harmony comes when you think about other people. That's the key to harmony. You've got to learn the lost art of paying attention because the greatest gift you can give somebody is your attention. 
When you give them your attention, you're giving them your time. When you give them your time, you're giving them your life. If I give you some money, I can get more money. If I give you things, I can go get more things. But I give you my time and attention, I can't get any more time. It's gone. That's what makes it such an impressive gift. That's what makes it so effective. Because it's the most precious thing you can give someone is your time and attention. Learn the lost art of paying attention. Fourth thing you need to do, ask what would Jesus do? Now this sounds like a a trite question because we put it on t-shirts and bumper stickers and everything else, but it's right out of Philippians 2.5. It says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If I really care about relationships, if I want to lower conflict, increase the harmony in my life, if I want more happiness, I ask myself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this problem, in this situation? What would Jesus do in this time when someone's experiencing grief, when somebody's worried? What would Jesus do at the office? What would Jesus do on the golf course? What would Jesus do? And when you ask that question, you will always come up with a humble answer. You will always come up with an answer that builds harmony and leads to happiness rather than difficulty, defeat, bitterness, and resentment. You say, but I, I don't know what Jesus would do. I don't know what it means to act like Jesus. How would Jesus act at school? How would Jesus act in my marriage? How would he act at my job? Fortunately, we've got some examples here in this, in this passage. We've got three examples of what acting like Jesus means. First, it means I don't demand what I think I deserve. You know, we go through life thinking we deserve certain things. I deserve to be happy. I deserve some happiness. And when we don't get it, we become demanding, which is the exact opposite way to get it. Jesus didn't demand what he deserved. Philippians 2, 6, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He emptied himself of all he had. Jesus is God, and yet he came to earth to become a human being. And even though he's God, he doesn't demand his rights. Instead, he empties himself of all he had. Have you realized how countercultural that is? Especially if you're an American. If you're an American, you know, I have the right to be happy. I have my rights. I demand my rights. Jesus says there's a better way than demanding your rights. In fact, demanding just makes people more resistant. Demanding makes people retaliatory. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. You're not going to get what you need by demanding your rights. The Christ-like approach is, I don't demand what I think I deserve. Number two, I look for ways that I can serve. Verse 7, Jesus took on the nature of a servant, becoming a human just like us. To become like Jesus, you have to learn to serve. Now, our culture says the goal is to get other people to serve you. You know, the, the world says the more you, people you have serving you, the more important you are. But God's value system is the exact opposite. It's not the more people serving you, the more important you are. It's the more people you are serving, the more important you are. The more you give your life away, the God, more God blesses you with honor. It's the Mother Teresa principle. Mother Teresa poured out her life at helping the least influential people in the world. Beggars dying in the street in Calcutta. 
People with absolutely no influence. And as Mother Teresa poured her life out with them, God raised her up to a position of influence. She had influence over the United Nations, over the U.S. Congress, over presidents, prime ministers, and kings. Why? Because God says the way up is down. Jesus said, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. Now, you can practice this. It's a habit you can develop. And you develop the habit of a servant's heart, not in the big things in life, but in the little things. God tests your humility every day. Every day. How humble are you? Do you have a servant's heart? Are you willing to do the little things? Are you willing to do the menial things? It's a test. You're tested in the little things of life, and then it shows up in the big things in life. Character is revealed in the big crises. But character is built every day in the little things. Character is revealed in the crisis, but it's built every day in the little things. Life is a test. It's a test of your pride, a test of your humility, a test of whether you have a servant's heart or not. And so you want to look for ways to pass the test. Look for ways to serve. Number three, I do what's right even when it's painful. Verse 8, while living as a man, Jesus humbled himself even more by being fully obedient to God. That's doing what's right, even when it meant his death on a cross. That's painful. He did the right thing, even though it was excruciatingly painful to him. Jesus Christ is the greatest example of humility, and God has given Jesus the greatest honor in the universe. It says, because of this, because of the example of humility that Christ showed... Because of this, God exalted Jesus to the highest honor and made his name greater than every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will one day bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and give glory to the Father. Jesus has a name greater than any other. And one day in heaven, uh, on earth, under the earth, everybody is going to be gathered before God and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, people say, what's this world coming to? Tell them this is what it's coming to. Everybody's going to bow. Everybody will confess that Christ is Lord. That's where the world is coming to. One day all the arrogance, all the idolatry, all the denial, all the unbelief, all the rebellion, every person that God ever created will bow before Jesus and admit that he is Lord. The president the queen, the prime minister, the rock star, the celebrity, the athlete. I'm not even going to name their names because you know what? Their names aren't important. There's one name that matters, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. That's the name that's going to be honored. And they will all be there. And what's more important is you will be there. You will be there. And you will bow your knee, and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you will either do it willingly, happily, and with joy, or you will do it under duress. That's the question. Now, if you make the decision now that Jesus is Lord, then on that day when everyone bows, you will do it as an act of worship. You will do it as an act of adoration. For you, it will be an expression of love. But if you wait till that day to do it, then you will do it under compulsion. You will do it under duress. But you will do it. But if you don't humble yourself now and acknowledge Christ as Lord, 
you miss out on the benefits of knowing Christ as Lord in the here and now. Here's the cool thing. If you do it now, you can unleash the power of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. You know, when you're discouraged, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're tempted, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're worried and fearful, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're fatigued, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're lonely, say, Jesus is Lord. When you're grieving, say, Jesus is Lord. It may look like the wrong side is winning, but Jesus is Lord. It may look like they are conspiring against you, but Jesus is Lord. You may think you can't cope one more day, one more hour, one more minute, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's a statement of humility that leads to happiness. Jesus is Lord. I'm not. It's the pathway to happiness. Let's pray together. Would you just pray this prayer in the, in the quietness of your own heart and mind? Would you just say, God, I want to live a happy life. I want to live with harmony in my relationships. I certainly don't want to live with conflict. So God, help me to do it your way instead of the world's way. Never let pride be my guide. God, I want to be humble so I don't stumble. I'm, I don't want to think less of myself. I just want to think less about myself. I don't want to devalue myself and who you made me to be. I just want to add value to other people. God, help me to learn the lost art of paying attention. To show love by, by paying attention and listening and being interested in other people. And when I'm in the tough times of life, help me to ask, what would Jesus do? And then help me not to demand what I think I deserve, but to look instead for ways to serve. And God, when I'm tested on these principles, when conflict comes, help me to do what's right, even when it's painful. God, I want to walk in humility and dependence before you. Because you promised to reward me with the promises of your word. And so, Jesus, I say to you today, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never done that before today. Maybe you need to open your heart and life and just say, Jesus Christ, I, I want you to come into my life. I receive your forgiveness for my sins. I receive the new, abundant, eternal life that you offer me. And every day I want to live in a way that pleases you and benefits me. God, help me to change my frame of reference to realize Jesus is Lord, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.